0: Oh, wow! Okay, well, thank you so much um, for doing this interview with me. I know we've been planning this for for a while now, you know. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, you know, communicating through Facebook is always a good thing. You know, I mean, I met so many people through social media. I guess that's the way to meet people now, especially when you're like so far away, you know.
1: Um, right. Right. Of course.
0: I I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your the jazz project, which I I was really impressed with that one, also.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you, yeah, I guess I've I've been involved in a few things over the years.
0: (laughs) I I didn't even know that you were, that you even did that, uh, that you were even doing that kind of, you know, that style, uh, you know, coming from goth industrial, and then, I mean, I like it, I mean, your voice really matches the songs, the, the, you know, the the genre, the jazz genre. Um,
1: Well, I've, uh, you know, it's one of these things where, uh, you know, I've always been a collector of of records, Mm -hmm. and so... uh, you know, even when I was a kid, my mom, you know, liked Johnny Mathis and Sinatra and Nat King Cole and Billy Eckstein and people like that. So I kind of grew up with it. And so it was always in my back pocket a little bit. And uh, even when I, you know, first started coming up in in underground music, alternative music, whatever we called it at the time, uh, I was always collecting odd vocal and jazz records. So... um, at one point in the late 90s, I was in LA. I met some of the right people, and I put out a couple of uh, you know jazz-based uh, you know vocal records under the name The Blue Dahlia. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was something I wanted to do for a real long time. Even at the time, I was you know writing liner notes for different labels on a lot of old 1930s and 40s reissues. So it's it's. Yeah, I've always been a bit of an enthusiast for that kind of music. So Yeah, me too. Um, me me too, believe
0: it. Yeah, I, I love dark stuff, but I like the jazz, that period, you know, and all the great stuff. So, you know, if you just tuned in, you're listening to the Queen of Wands podcast, and I'm speaking here with Ethan Morolis, who is uh, the lead vocalist for so many bands through the years. Fahrenheit 451, that was your first band, right? And then uh, Yes. And then the Spawn Ranch, Black Tape for a Blue Girl. And uh, and the blue dahlia.
1: Blue dahlia, yes. Blue dahlia. And yeah. now uh, noir. And now noir, yeah. And, the one, uh, the one and
0: only noir. I love the name. I love the name noir. Thank and, you.
1: Uh,
0: yeah, and I I have been uh, playing um, a, a tune or two, you know, since the release, and um, I want to play another one uh, on the show. Uh, but first, you know, let's let's. I want to talk to you a little bit about your your past because you know you you come a long ways. I mean. I mean you go way back in the 80s, right? I mean you're uh you 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 know, it's kind yes, of Yes, like, I you know, uh legendary. Fact, I
1: put out I put out my first record with Fahrenheit 451 in 1986, a record called House of Morals, a four-song EP on vinyl. Okay. And um and so that's kind of where it all starts. I was uh I was about 19 when I joined that band. Mm-hmm. And so they were really the first uh you know, the first legitimate underground uh, band, I guess you could say I was in, prior to that I was in cover bands for the most part in high school and whatnot. But that was at the tail end of what I think of as the first wave mm-hmm. of uh you know, we, we didn't even really call it gothic at the time. It I would know, be, yeah. You know, even yeah. the word industrial wasn't kicking around yet. Mm-hmm, um, that's right. It was all kind of just post-punk. It was mm-hmm. just something that we called it post-punk. I think some people said alternative. Some people said underground. But, but yeah, it was in that time period. Um, 84, I guess I got my start. 85, right in that yeah. time period. And, and uh, I guess you could say I've been going strong ever since. I did stop making music for about almost a decade. From mm. 2000 to 2009, I, I just stopped and um, came well, out well, of it well, and joined Black Tape for a Blue Girl. So barring those nine or 10 years that I stopped making music, um, I guess I've been at it since, um, since the 80s, yes.
0: So you, you said you stopped. So what were you doing when you took a break? You just, uh, just took a break?
1: Well, it, it, Spawn Ranch was together from, at least my time in Spawn Ranch was from 93 to 2000. And I was mm-hmm. living in L.A. We were touring a lot, you know, here and abroad. Um, we were putting out albums. It was a great experience. It was the most popular band I was ever in.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, I my you know, a lot of things started to kind of change in my life. I had a bad breakup, and it, it just was one of these things where, you know, life sometimes just tells you it's time to go home. Mm -hmm. So I left L.A., Spawn Ranch broke up, the Blue Dahlia broke up. Um, I was working at Cleopatra at the time as well. I left that job and I moved back to New York. And I decided Mm -hmm. to just go behind the scenes in music. And uh, I was writing liner notes for a few different labels. I was doing some booking, some publishing. I was freelancing for... For metropolis and for project right. records so i i you know i did plenty of stuff behind the scenes of music but i really just stopped touring stopped recording and um and so then i got sucked back into it <laughs> so
0: i mean yeah um, i mean your, your music will always i mean music is always you always go back to it no matter what you know right
1: yeah it's I mean, a little bit like a bicycle it's one of these things where i was I, again, I think I stopped because I had been doing it for approximately, at that time, about 15, 16, 17 straight years of touring and putting out albums and all of that kind of thing. And then I just hit this wall. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I, I seem to remember it. I used to tell this story. Spawn Ranch did so many U.S. tours that I remember one time We had played this place in Cleveland that I really hated playing, Mm. and um, it was a a seafood restaurant turned into a nightclub, and in the middle Mm. of the room, there was this big old, like, 17th century or 18th century, like, pirate ship, and Mm. there was a fake pirate sitting on the boat, and I remember they served us our food that evening, and I was looking at this pirate, and I realized that I had played this club maybe 10, 11 times or something like that, wow. and I, I think I just had felt that um, I wasn't sure it was going to get any better than it was, and I just felt like I, like I had kind of just hit this crossroads of making a decision to be content with the way it was or walk away from it, and I decided to walk away from it. Wow.
0: Yeah, but you know you But I came you,
1: back.
0: <laughs> yeah, you came back and uh you you have you have quite a legacy of of bands, you know, I mean, uh you know for me growing up, I've been, you know, I I get this this albums, this compilation albums and I would see Spawn Ranch and a lot of them. I mean, you did you, you you guys did a lot of uh um, you know, those uh, uh I don't know what I can't remember what they were. They were uh, the the those vampire compilation yeah compilation? the
1: goth box mm-hmm. the industrial revolution there was so many of them I uh, honestly it's it's funny I was talking to, to Sam from Project Records the other day mm-hmm. and uh, and from Black Tape for a Blue Girl and uh, I Spawn Rise was probably on 80 or 90 different compilations over the yeah, year yeah, it was. like it was it was an. Mm-hmm. I mean granted there was an explosion of them in the 90s on compact disc of course and so there there was there was a lot of them. It wasn't actually, you know, any band that was together for most of the 90s ended up on at least that many, too, so I'm not saying it like we were unique, but, but it still is kind of amazing that even whether it was in-house ones at Cleopatra, or whether it was, you know, ones at Metropolis, or Project, or KTEL or European labels, and SPV, and all these different labels, Zoth, it was. it's just an, an unbelievable time period, and all these different labels are putting out compilations, magazines are putting out compilations, some specialty radio shows will put out compilations. So there were all these different people putting out compilations and it really is uh, in some ways how a lot of people got turned on to new music at the time. It was mm-hmm. such a different right. time. Mm-hmm. But they would grab these comps, even if they were hot topic comps, and they would uh they'd hear these bands for the first time right. and to a lot of people in in isolated parts of the country, uh, these were like a godsend, these yeah, compilations, I mean, because it was the, I mean, the maybe, only way to really hear this kind of stuff. and so. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, even for me back in the 90s, I mean, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. All these, I would go to uh, different record stores, you know, I would go to Amoeba Records in San Francisco, and I would find these, you know, these, these things, these, these compilations of all these, and I would collect them. I have a whole collection of all these things, you know, on CD. Because you know they only came out in CD, you know, and um, but they were great. I mean, they were uh, they they keep they kept you informed. Yeah, you're right. Um, especially if you live like far away or you're not you're not close to a major city. Um, I think they they, uh, they and then
1: also too. I mean, in the same way, there were also magazines like uh, mm-hmm. Industrial Nation and. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it, Permission and, uh, you know, even Alternative Press and all these, they also did CD compilations in a little wallet right. that was inside mm-hmm. of the, the magazine, and so that was a way a lot of people got turned on. And now I guess the modern equivalent sort of is Spotify right. playlists, I guess. I mean, yeah. it, there, uh, there's still uh, people doing yeah. compilations, it's a little different, they're mostly Bandcamp compilations and such, mm-hmm. um, so it hasn't changed that much, but... In a sense, you know, you just turn on your computer and you can get that. Back then, you really had to earn it. So, so you uh, had to go out of your way and find the stuff.
0: So uh, how did you get involved with Black Tape for a Blue Girl? Yeah, because I, I mean, you well, work I with Sam. I had known
1: Sam mm-hmm. for a, a little while. Sam, who founded Black Tape for a Blue Girl and who uh, is the, you know, the president of, of Project Records. I had known him. Mm-hmm. I had met him probably in the mid-90s. I think, uh, him and his wife at the time were living in California and I bumped into him a few times and, you know, he had black tape. Of course I was in Spawn Ranch and we kind of became friends. And then I think they ended up moving to Chicago. And then every time we would go through Chicago on tour with Spawn Ranch, he would come to the shows. So I, I kind of knew him and, um, uh, we were peers of course, and, and, and friends and, um, and then I think at one point in the late 90s, oddly enough, it's going to come full circle back to now, uh-huh. uh, he he had asked me to contribute a Christmas song. I know, I was, that, that's to, what I was
0: going to get to. I was going to talk about, that's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, so projecting. this was in the
1: late 90s. He, had, mm-hmm. he was putting together a second volume of, of this Dark Noel series he was working mm. on. And I knew that, you know, my, my, my writing partner in Spawn Ranch wouldn't, want to do Christmas material again some people are you know not just don't like Christmas music and so I just thought geez how am I going to record this Christmas music I need somebody to work on this with and it turned out I was friends with Ray's Obsession
0: Uh and
1: uh, I contacted them and I said hey why don't we work on this Christmas song together you know you and I can Sue and I can do a duet and 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 Jim can produce it and it ended up working out and so I think that might have been the very first thing I did with uh with project um and so therefore the first thing i did with sam so when i moved back to new york um the only vocal the only recording i'd sam by chance moved to new york around the same time i did in 2000 and he moved project to new york and mm-hmm. every once in a while he would call me because he would need a a vocal or something like that and it was about the only singing i was still doing so he had a black tape album he wanted to do. He always used a lot of different vocalists, so I maybe gave him recorded one track or two tracks. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do a Dead Can Dance cover mm-hmm. for this Dead Can Dance tribute of some kind. Yeah, so I-, I went to his house and did some vocals on that. It was about... he in a, in a weird way, even in the early 2000s when I had stopped making music, or so I said... The only music, like I said, Sam would kept a little bit of a pulse alive for me in that I would still get involved and, you know, record a random song here and there. I think I mm-hmm. recorded one song with Raised in Black as well at the time.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, but I yeah. did very I little.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, so then here we are, you know, maybe, like I said, like, like uh, about seven or eight years later, Sam was, you know, had lost his vocalist. And he said, hey, why don't you just become the vocalist?
0: Uh-huh, and wow. I had to
1: really give it a lot of thought because I, you know, I, 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 I wasn't sure if I wanted a tour. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do anything like that. Yeah. And so, uh, but I made the decision to do it, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. I ended up, I ended up in the band for maybe four years or so, and I ended up on. A couple of different albums, a few different EPs. We toured the U.S. We toured Europe once. I mean, I got a lot out of it. But moreover, what it really kickstarted for me was Sam. Then moved to Portland. He has a different version of the band now, mm. and uh, it kind of prompted me to start Noir, which really wow. ended up becoming sort of uh, you know a project that I at first I didn't really even think was going to get get past a couple of releases. I just thought it was just a project, but now it's kind of my main thing. So,
0: so noir. So tell so, us a little bit about noir. Now I know, um, so you have a new album out. <clears throat> uh, is it, um, Metropolis?
1: The new, uh, yes, we have, um, we, we've, we've put out six releases thus far. Mm-hmm. Uh, only one of them is on compact disc. Everything else is digital. I mean, it's all through Metropolis records that are based in Philadelphia. hmm. And, uh, the new EP, um, uh, uh is called A Pleasure, and uh, it's the lead track is called A Pleasure to Burn, and it took me a couple years to put this one together. I have a, I have a collaborator named Eric Gustafson who lives in Austin, Texas, and uh, he's also in a band called Adoration Destroyed. He's also in Grendel. He's a very talented guitarist, programmer, and uh, he and I have been kind of working on noir together these last three releases, and uh, mm-hmm. I have... Uh, uh, Demetra and Kai, who are both keyboardists and vocalists in Noir, in the live version of Noir, and they also do vocals in the studio with me. Um, but the new EP really—it took me a really long time to put this one together because um, it's 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 always a little bit at a time. That's kind of how I do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have a cellist named Tracy from Boston who recorded on it, and and. Oh, uh, uh, Jean-Marc Letterman, a uh, Letterman from uh, from Belgium, a pretty talented guy, co-wrote one of the songs with me. Fires did a remix. Seeming did a remix. So it it took a little bit to put it together. There's a Fat Gadget cover on there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but it, you know, it's it, I, it's exactly. I'm I'm very proud of it, though. I'm very very happy with it. I I, I like this shorter format. I've kind of evolved to appreciate these shorter formats.
0: You don't mm-hmm. always have to yeah. put out
1: a 12-song album. You can kind of put out a, you know, a three- or four-song EP, and I, I think I kind of prefer this. It, ultimately, I may end up doing another album, but the last few, the last three things I've put out have been EPs. So
0: well, we're definitely gonna I kind play, of prefer uh, it this way. we're definitely going to play a track, you know, uh, from, from the new oh, great. album. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're looking forward to... Uh, to more noir, you know, through the years, you know, I, I know you, you said you're going to do something, you know, 2019. So more like 2020, right? Yeah. Are you thinking?
1: Uh well, I'm contemplating. I mean, I've been kicking around a couple of different ideas. Um, you know, I, at one point I thought about doing an entire album of covers. Um, I, you know, I have about half an album of material now recorded. I could probably pill for a few songs from the last few EPs and see if I can ultimately assemble an album. Um, but right now with, the uh, with the new EP for noir and then the, the, the new, uh, Christmas Nocturne, uh, release I did with Sue Hutton. It's, it's been kind of a, it's been a lot. So, you know, ending the year with those two and then earlier in the year, I, I think, um, uh, you and I discussed this before. I know you got Dark Nouveau, that compilation I assembled, mm-hmm. and, and and then I did one for Cleopatra called The Unquiet Grave. So it's been a very creative year. I know. No, you've, um, done, you've and, done so uh, much.
0: I mean, really, you've done so much through the years. I, I, I never thought I'd be talking to you, and I've been listening to all these different albums you made through the years, you know?
1: So, oh, thank um, you very much. It's nice of you to say. Thank you.
0: And... Uh, I didn't even know about the jazz part that you were part of. And then I started listening to some of those tracks and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You know, from God industrial or something. Um, and I, I could, I could relate because I love that too. You know, uh, some people, they stick to one genre and that's it. But for me, I, I, I like a lot of things. Um,
1: well, it's funny you say that because this came up in conversation with somebody earlier today. It's, um, it's, you know, I it, the goth industrial scene has been very close to my heart since you know since my late teens, and mm-hmm. so it's something that. But it's it's one in some ways, even though it's my it's where my you know where my bread is buttered. It's you know it's the scene that I belong to. It's, it's where yeah. I have a, you know a following and loyal fans. It's been great, but it's kind of like anything in life. You you know you you don't want to eat the same food all the time, or right, you know right, anything yeah. like that, or drive the same car all the time. It's it's just one of these things where you know, I've always been involved in other forms of music and I try to sneak a little bit of those other genres of music into the goth industrial thing. So so in some ways, you know, the whole crooner frontman thing, the um I try to bring a little bit of that into what I do in noir so that it's not just, you know, one dimensional. I You know, years ago, I was in Spawn Ranch with with a guy named Matt Green, and, Mm -hmm. you know, Matt Matt was always very, um, uh, how should I say, Matt was always very enthusiastic about changing the direction from album to album, Mm -hmm. not necessarily in a conscious way, I think it was just a part of who he was. Mm -hmm. He always tried to give the audience something a little different to sort of latch on to each time, and... I, in some ways, I think that was very influential on me. I mean, I I was along for the ride, so you know, here I was changing with him. But um, I think that that's something that I even do to this day, where you kind of try to bring in something else. I mean, not to mm-hmm. go over people's heads or anything like that, but uh, I think there's enough cookie cutter music these days that I I, I think that you know, it, it there's plenty of room to bring in whether it be jazz or rhythm and blues or possibly some African rhythms or whatever it happens to be. I think that there's ways to 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 put these into music and keep things interesting and keep them alive. I mean, yeah, it's sure, what Bowie yeah. did. Mm-hmm. It's what Roxy Music did. It's what all mm-hmm. these great bands of yesterday did. So, um, you know, why shouldn't goth industrial music also evolve?
0: Right. So, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean... Uh... Yeah, um we were looking forward to playing a little bit more of the Christmas music cause I, I have I have um, I believe I played a track last week from the Christmas Nocturne album.
1: Um Yes.
0: So how many how many tracks are in that album?
1: Like the... Uh I it's it's really three songs yeah, and then one of up. them is a cappella, uh, an mm-hmm. a cappella version of one of the others. So it's four songs total, but one of them is just an a cappella version of uh the song
0: and then did, have you, did you do the other christmas albums in the past as well in the, did i do the did one you, did you do other christmas albums in the past with
1: project? no in fact this this was one of those things that i was um that i, I was really planning on uh i was really pl- I, ever since sue and i recorded the original one 20 years ago mm-hmm. i always wanted to do more mm-hmm. i just always um it, it, it I didn't want to just do one song. I I I feel like um I guess over the years I started to think like that you know I like Christmas music. I'm not yeah, particularly too. religious, mm-hmm. but I do like the time of year. I like some of the songs actually have a a very um uh I I I can't really explain it. There's there's a touch of sentimentality to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um and uh and so, you know, I, I've always wanted to get back to doing a full length of that material. And so this year it just lined up rather well to be able to, you know, I, I, I noticed, of course, that it was the 20th anniversary of the original song that we recorded, We mm-hmm. Three Kings. Yeah. And so then I, I just thought it was a great time to perhaps add a few songs to it. Right, right. Um, and Sue had a producer named Kevin who's very talented who jumped in and really helped out and did a lot of arranging on the new one. And so we were able to assemble this e p in a way to test the waters and see see if there is interest because perhaps down the road maybe maybe sue and I'll do a full length uh yeah i mean I look, I material, look to that. So,
0: yeah i mean yeah. i I have some christmas favorites you know i w- i would like to hear a carol of the bells and uh ave maria and those kind of things you know um down the road i'm hoping you guys would do
1: yeah you never know like i said i if if there's you know if if it ends up catching on and you know there's interest uh, perhaps we will do another one, but mm-hmm. I wanted to get this first one under our belt, and as I'm sure you know the shelf life of a, of a Christmas album is really just five or six weeks because you know after december twenty fifth it kind of it's yeah. over until next year until so next
0: year, yeah.
1: um, so we have a very small window of time to promote this, so hopefully people listen to it and you know hopefully you know we you know we can expand and and see what happens and and see if there's some kind of demand to do more in the future but for right now I'm very content with having done this this first one really so
0: if somebody wanted to hear that christmas um uh your christmas album that came out the the, the songs uh how would they uh, how can they find it for people that wanted to
1: well it's pretty much everywhere i mean again it's uh it's on iTunes it's mm-hmm. uh it's on Bandcamp, it's on Spotify, um, it's on Amazon, so it's, it's all the digital, uh, all the digital outlets, all the streaming outlets, it's pretty available, And it's 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 Sue Hutton and Ethan Marullis, um Christmas Nocturne, or oh, people can just go to the project website and find it there for sure.
0: Oh yeah, for sure, yeah, that's where, okay, alright, and then the Noir, they, they can find it as well? metropolis
1: uh noir pretty much the same thing except uh you know through metropolis um but that's also you know amazon itunes spotify uh band mm-hmm. it's 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 also up there in some places it says noir u.s in mm-hmm. parentheses uh we ran into a little problem with the name noir there's some scandinavian dj who's very popular who who uh, puts out releases as Noir? Okay. Um, and so, although his music is very different than mine, um, his uh, his lawyer contacted me, so I had to put a U.S. after mine oh, on on uh-huh. certain certain sites. But uh, but uh, but okay. you know, I think anybody anybody into dark wave or anything like that is, then, is uh, can tell the difference between his Noir and my Noir. So all right.
0: Okay, well, I'm I'm looking forward to you know the next noir album and uh, and uh, you know looking forward to talking with you again in, in the, maybe another time. Uh, when, when, yes, definitely when for sure, and out. I
1: really appreciate the support, and I thank you for having me on.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. Okay.